good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, coming to you from the studios of the Coming Home Network at International. Joined today, as usual, by my oldest son, John Mark, who's the uh, chief operating officer over here at this apostolate. John Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here again. I do it that way because John Mark and I are not sitting in the same room together. John Mark's up at the northern offices of the Coming Home Network, and I'm down at the main office in Columbus, near Zanesville, Ohio. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of, of Deep in Scripture. I hope that, uh, if this isn't your first, I hope that you're enjoying the long series of Deep in Scripture, which you can find on the website. And uh, maybe before we begin, John Mark, do you have a word to uh, bring our audience up to date with the work of the Coming Home Network? Sure thing. Well, as you said, you know, if you've been following the show or if you're new to it, you can go to chnetwork.org and hover over the resources menu and click deep in scripture to see the rest of the archives of this show and information about it. Uh, but I also wanted to tell you, I mean, there's lots of resources on the website. You really should check it out. But if you go to that same menu, if you go to chnetwork.org uh, and hover over resources and click deep in history, um, we have a, a new video that we just put out earlier this week. Uh, Dad, you spoke with Monsignor St- uh, Jeffrey Steenson, who is the former ordinary of the Anglican Ordinariate in the Church, uh, as well as our colleague Ken Hensley, uh, on the concept of deep in history. And you guys recorded that on Tuesday, and I think just yesterday, Wednesday, it was announced that Blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman is going to be canonized. And so, of course, he was the one who said to be deep in history is to seep to be Protestant. So if you'd like to check out that uh, webinar, go to our website and uh, check out Deep in History, where we'll have that video available for you. All right, great. Thanks, John Mark. Now, these deep in, uh, let me start by uh, saying that these Deep in Scripture programs uh, are unapologetically not scholarly, Mm -hmm. academic. What we're actually trying to do is to demonstrate to you, listeners, the beauty and the joy uh, and the value of Scripture study, and uh, to not be afraid of it, to jump in there. Mm. And maybe what sets this program unique from, from many others is we insist on, we look through Scripture through the eyes of the church, through the rule of faith. That doesn't mean we're always going to quote Vatican II, but we're, we're trying to see Scripture through the source that we receive Scripture, which is the church. Hmm. And uh, again, if we have more time, we can talk about a, a lot about that in itself. But what we'd like to do today, uh, as John Mark and I talked about, well, what do we want to cover this week on Deep in Scripture? Well, even though you're hearing it a week later, John Mark and I are are going to do our discussion on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And what's a good theme? Well, hey, it's Valentine's Day, so it seems that love might be a decent theme to discuss a bit. It's always timely. And honestly, to give an authentic, full, balanced discussion of love in the New Testament would take literally hours, and it deserves that. But what I thought we would do today, and I pose this for my son, is we're going to look at, briefly, the most well-known, most popular, most quoted, most memorized scriptures in the New Testament on love, 
and we're going to look at them through the lens of the most difficult, most avoided, <laughs> most contra if you will, most controversial scriptures on love in the New Testament. And the reason we're doing that is not just for the fun of it or for the challenge of it, <laughs> but because I believe that to fully understand the meaning of the most quoted scriptures on love, they need to be bracketed. They need to be understood in the context of the most difficult passages on love. And if you will, the most well-known, most quoted, most beloved section on love comes from the writings of Paul. And we know that when Paul wrote his letters to Christians, he was always assuming that they already knew the words of Christ. Hmm. So beneath the words of Paul, we always assume the oral tradition of the words of Christ. And I will say just is that today we've lost confidence in the ability of oral tradition because we today have lost the ability to remember things in a trustworthy way. In the early church, that was a totally different world. They could memorize the words of Christ. They honored the words of Christ. They passed them on faithfully from, from Christian to Christian. And they, they didn't even need it written down because they knew the words of Christ. And so behind the, the writings of Paul are the words of Jesus. And so to understand the words of Paul, we've got to remember what it was that Jesus said about love. Yeah. And so we're going to look at these two passages, and I'm not even going to tell you yet what they are. I'm wondering, if, I'd like you sitting there. What do you think? What do you think is the most quoted scriptures about love? And I'm pretty sure you know. And what are the ones that people avoid? All right. But John Mark, before we jump to that, let's talk a bit about love itself hmm. and why maybe today it is important to not just discuss the most beloved section on love, but the most avoided section on love. Hmm. Now, you're a philosophy major. John Marks, I'm going to throw this into your court for a second. That doesn't mean anything. Well, it does. It does. It does. But I mean, let's yeah. let's talk about, let's just approach the issue of love, and maybe in the context sure. of the soup of today's misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like many of the terms and concepts we use, um, the the word kind of gets emptied of its meaning in because it's so overused and used in so many contexts and used in so many ways um, imprecisely uh, or with different agendas behind it. And certainly love is a great example of that one. Where we think of in today's culture, in the news, in the world, in our stories, in our movies, in our music, um, you know, obviously that concept is you or that that word is used for all sorts of things. I know even in my life, in, in, a, in a Christian and Catholic context, even wrestling, having a pretty good idea of what love is, but still wrestling with trying to get at what it is at its core. On the one hand, you know, we, we, we very quickly we look at love and we recognize that we can't be talking about mere, mere feelings or uh, sense experiences, mere uh, biological urges, biological uh, movements, moods. Love has got to be more than that, even though sometimes love uh, is connected with those things. We know that. 
But on the other hand, too, I think sometimes we can we can begin to treat. So we would say that love is an act. Love is an act of the will. Is to will the good of another. But I think a lot of the, the scriptures in the New Testament also round that out a little bit, too, because with love, as with other things, and we've talked about this in previous weeks, the question is, is something a fruit of the Spirit working in us, or is it the work a work of our flesh? And sometimes love, too, we can get into this, I think, this state of heart and mind where we are trying to work out love with clenched teeth, Um but throughout the New Testament, again, we're, we're reminded that, that love is something very much deeper than that. And it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us. And so I, I think it, it's, it's that, like all these things, they come back to this mystery of God's grace working in and through our will to bring about these fruits. And it's only by, I think, keeping that mystery there and looking at these scriptures in light of that mystery do we get you know, the full nuanced picture of love beginning to emerge. Jesus said in in, uh, John 15 um, about the vine and the branches and and, uh, producing fruit, you know, and then Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Hmm. And that is a key because if by faith, and baptism, we are new creatures, then we have been given the, at least the seeds of these fruit as a result of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Right. Um, seeds of the divine nature. Now, and we may not be these fruit in our marriage. That doesn't mean that they don't exist within our soul, our heart, but they may have been squelched or covered up with other junk. Hmm. And so part of it is remembering this is what I am through Christ, and this is the way I am to be. And in that same section of John 15, our Lord goes on to say, um, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Mm-hmm. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. So there we have this continuing, remaining call to be in his love. Right. And and to live that out, to love, to command to love, but yet the love in itself is a fruit. And so it's a chicken and an egg thing. Yeah. You know, we have the fruit, but we're not going to grow in it unless we do it. Mm-hmm. But in doing it, we grow in it. Mm-hmm. And it's a continual thing. And, and I think, good. Well, I think that, hel- that helps explain too why, you know, at first glance, some scriptures on the concept of love in the New Testament. Um, can sometimes seem so at odds, like the ones we'll read today. They seem like, you know, one one seems to be talking about one thing, the other seems to be talking about something either radically different or or so far beyond the previous one. It's almost hard to connect them. But I think part part of this this mysterious chicken and the egg, grace and free will aspect of it is important, as well as the the recognition that it's a a process that the Holy Spirit's working out in us. You know, he the Holy Spirit 
as we say in the church, uh, the spirit, uh, grace builds on nature. So our nature is, is, is through sin, is, is broken, but the, the grace doesn't come in and abolish nature. It builds on what we have. And so there are, there are, are many experiences or modes of love that the spirit takes and perfects and grows into a love that truly imitates Christ. Now, before we jump into these passages, another thing I want to point out, and again, this is a time for a bigger discussion. Those of you listening can find it in other resources, and it really is a new thing. People talk about it a lot, uh, and that is recognizing that in the New Testament, that in the English, we often use one word, love, Mm -hmm. to translate four Greek words for love that have uniquely different meanings. Right. And so therein lies some of the confusion because not only, even when we read the New Testament, can we miss it, but Mm -hmm. we have a culture that has run wild with misusing the word love to mean lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, We might think, "I, I love my wife, and I love chocolate. Mm-hmm. It's two different, you know, radically mm-hmm. different things. Uh, mm-hmm. Or I love you as my son. Mm-hmm. Or you know, how would we use? It's they're different. Yeah, yeah. There, there's something that ties the concepts together, but we, we lose the distinction. We lose the process. We lose the distinction between you know grace and the nature that it builds upon. And so you know, a deeper study into the more, you know, a fleshing out of what love is, is, is so important. Yeah. Maybe the best book that I know of on this is C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, which is an Mm -hmm. awesome book, highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he points out that there are basically four Greek words for, that are used for love. um, And they are storge, eros, phileo, and agape. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> you can see a process there, but mm-hmm. Eros is a, a very passionate, uh, he describes that uh, that idea as two people looking at each other. Mm-hmm. A need in, love. What's that? A need love. A need yeah. love, a passion love, driven by passion, driven mm-hmm. by, you, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the kind of love that really expresses that is the kind of infatuation love when you're teenagers and falling in love with your first, you know, it, it's it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, phileo is, is translated in New Testament often as brotherly affection. The word mm-hmm. Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love because that's what phileo means. Mm-hmm. And C.S. Lewis describes it as two people who are love each other through phileo. Mm-hmm. They stand side by side. They're not talking about each other's love for one another mm-hmm. because they're, they're focused, they're united on a common goal. Yeah. They're reaching out either against a common enemy or a common, and that's, for example, you could have a, a Catholic and a, and a non-Catholic standing side by side fighting against abortion, mm-hmm. and they can be best of buddies. The problem is then when that when they're not fighting on abortion, they turn and look at each other, and all of a sudden they're at the fisticuffs because they disagree on other issues. Well, we've got to get beyond that because we need to move to agape, which is the love that Christ calls us to. Mm-hmm. The great commandment, loving our Lord God with a heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself, that's agape. 
It's a it's a giving without demanding, without expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're hated, and that's the point of what we're going to look at today. And we have, and, and one of the things I would say there too is that. So again, I think I love that book by by Lewis, and because I think even looking at those 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 human loves and then that that divine love that perfects those human loves, it illustrates that process. It illustrates how what we have in us by nature is perfected in grace. Um, but what's interesting too is that then throughout the Bible we have examples of um, of these human lives loves perfected or fulfilled in grace. I mean, throughout Scripture, one of the most common um, analogies used for God's love for His people is is an eros, an erotic love, a, a married love, and that shows that all these human loves point to something fulfilled only in God's love, only through the Spirit. All right, excellent, John Mark. Let's let's now look at these passages, which we haven't even named, the nameless passages. Uh, and the first, which is the most beloved, most, uh, I mean, uh, hardly, a, a, when I did weddings as a Protestant minister, har- hardly did one without 1 Corinthians 13, and specifically verses 4 through 7. And... We'll talk about that, and then we'll go to the other passage. Uh, Here's what Paul writes about love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, John Mark, when I look back on the days when when I am envisioning in my mind uh, a couple being married, mm-hmm. and they're about ready to say they do forever, and they do that after somebody has had the audacity to get up in the pulpit and read off this verse. I'm envisioning them wondering, can I do this? Hmm. And they may be hearing this passage in this way. Okay, Paul says love is patient and kind. Uh, I'm not patient. I'm, I'm not very kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Oh, boy. Uh, I get jealous at times. I know that I do. Boastful? Uh, Well, yeah. Arrogant, rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. I could see a guy standing there shaking in his shoes. He's about ready to uh, say forever, and he realizes, man, I don't love very much. I'm not a very loving person. And it, and if he heard the scripture a few months before, he might have said, "Yeah, I'm. I, I totally feel this. Yes, you know, <laughs> at, at the height of, you know, of anticipation, at the height of, um, you know, honeymoon expectation. Yeah, man, I could, I would do anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very quickly, we begin to wonder. Oh wow! But <laughs> if it was a checklist. He might yeah. be checking it off and saying, "Man, wait, 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 wait a second here. I, I, I'm not this. 
This isn't me. And and see that you see the danger is of that is looking at this as a measure of our passions, a measure of our emotions, of our feelings. Because that's not what's being talked about here. You know, love, he is in the midst of a, he's he's writing to a church where people are trying to understand the spiritual gifts and uh, in the church and how to live together and people who think I'm better than you because I got this gift and you don't, you only have that gift and, you know, what does it mean? And he's trying to tell them how by the fruit that you've been given through Christ, you are to actual, actualize these fruit in your relationship. This is what you need to do and be. Mm-hmm. But I think before we get into these to talk a little bit about them, and we're going to talk a little bit briefly today, is I want to look through them, look at them through the lens of the most avoided scriptures. And I can tell you, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, are not read very often at weddings. (laughs) Right? Uh, I haven't heard Recently, no, no, no. I mean, if you will, imagine this as I read them being read at a wedding. Because our Lord said in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you that here, now those of you listening to this, Jesus said, but I say to you that here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and of him who takes away your goods, do not ask them again. And as you wish men would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. John Mark, why is it important to look at 1 Corinthians through the lens of Luke 6? In fact, I even think that it might be good to read Luke 6 at a wedding. (laughs) Well, as you said earlier, we we take Scripture in the context of the whole. And when love is referenced in one part of Scripture, it may be talking about one aspect of it. Um, And looking at a different part of Scripture where it has a different emphasis, it's showing the whole, maybe the bigger picture, the bigger package here. Certainly in the context of this, the Sermon of the Mount, right? That's um, We 
we are having Christ is setting out the full ideal of being perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, and what's interesting too, as you were saying earlier, looking at the Corinthians, we can look at ourselves in those and say, "Man, I'm not necessarily patient or kind or some of these other things yet." And then, of course, looking here in Luke, uh, Christ is saying, "You know, you may love in this way, but even the sinners do that." Well, I'm still a sinner, uh, and Scripture tells reminds <laughs> me that uh, quite frequently. Um, so, what's being set out here is the ideal, and but the ideal that we are are commanded to strive for, but also the ideal that we we are promised the grace to be able to grow in. Um, and so, you this sets the trajectory of of the other. And uh, what's interesting about the other two is, on I feel like you could read the Corinthians in, in two ways. One is you could read it more in terms of of the feelings of the kind of loves, the human loves, as as Lewis talked about, that naturally come about. I mean, certainly at a stage in a relationship with any any person, you know, there are there are times where uh, patience and kindness and the good feelings around love are very easy. But ultimately, they're going to come. They're going to be tested and they're going to be tried. And that's at, it's at that point that we discover, okay, is this going to mature into the kind of love that God has? Um, for others, um, or not. The introduction to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 describes Jesus on a little hill, if you will, surrounded by a bazillion people that have come to hear him. And it says, out of that bazillion people come his disciples. And it's to those disciples that he basically says, okay, you want to follow me? This is it. Hmm. We know from John 6 that he had all these people around him. Some of them in the crowd wanted to make him king. There was the rabbis and the Pharisees and his disciples. Hmm. And in that context, he basically says, you want to follow me? Here it is. And we hear in John 6 that a great majority of them left him. Because that's those are tough words. He was talking there about eating my body, drink my blood. Those are tough words. Jesus is telling his disciples, ultimately, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Mm. One, two, God is love. Mm-hmm. Three, you are to love the Lord God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so, you at that point, you say, "Oh, okay, I can do that." Really. Here's what love is. And he sets in this con I mean, that's why I think it's kind of interesting to put it in the context of marriage. Yeah. You ever felt like your spouse is your enemy? Because in the midst of a disagreement and whatever, you just the devil tempts you there. Mm-hmm. Um do those do good to those who hate you. Sometimes our spouse might say something. Maybe we say something to our spouse that isn't very loving. And they may wonder if we hate them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I mean, that's a challenge. I'm not saying, be careful. I'm not saying that, you know, if a man's physically or abusing, that's a different issue. That's not what we're talking about here. But the point is, the point is that our, the level of our self-giving is not to be determined by our self-receiving. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. by what we've been given or what we're receiving or what we might get out of it. And that's what this whole context was. I mean, even yeah. the sinners do that. And I love that because he's using agape. These are all, all the words in Luke are agape. Mm-hmm. That even sinners responding to conscience can love freely. Mm-hmm. Okay, even they can do that. Right. So the kind of love he's calling us to is is a total unself-focused love. And I, I would say, as you were pointing out, I think in, in any relationship, that, that question is going to arise. You know, it, it, it starts on a human level, but in any relationship, it's going to get to a point where the question is, do I really love? What does really, love really mean? Now that the feelings have, 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 have gone down a little bit, now that I'm, I'm encountering a difficulty, do I really love? What does it really mean to love? Uh, I, one of my favorite quotes from uh, Chesterton is in his book, What's Wrong with the World? And he's talking about marriage. And, and he says this, the principle that he's talking about is this, that in everything worth having, even in every pleasure, there is a point of pain or tedium that must be survived so that the pleasure may revive and endure. The joy of battle comes after the first fear of death. The joy of reading Virgil comes after the bore of learning him. The glow of the sea bather comes after the icy shock of the sea bath. And the success of the marriage comes after the failure of the honeymoon. All human vows, laws, and contracts are so many ways of surviving with success this breaking point, this instant of potential surrender. So he's talking about how, you know, and again, this is such an interesting thing here. In in our nature, in our in our human loves, we often, in a flight of passion, promise what we can't deliver. You know, I will love you to the day I die. I I would do anything for you. We we say a lot of those things in First Corinthians. That's why it's the, it's such a loved verse. Yeah, I'm patient. I'd be kind. I, I won't be jealous. I won't be arrogant. I won't insist on my own way. I'll, I will do anything. And when the difficult times come, we can sometimes look back on that and regret it or feel sheepish that that our, our emotions carried us so far. But there was a point there. Even in our in our human nature, it's pointing towards agape. It's pointing towards something that the, that we can't deliver, but in us, the Holy Spirit can deliver. And again, as he said, the, the point of the bonds of friendship or the bonds of marriage or the contracts or the promises we make is to put us in this in this situation where we, we get to that point, that potential breaking point. And that's where we, we don't rely on our own strength, but we look to the Holy Spirit and we look to the fruits of the Spirit to carry us into the full flowering, the full fulfillment of love and agape. Yeah, the um, um, when we look at this list and we realize how far we fail, not only not only are we impatient and not very kind and jealous and arrogant, and rude, and all those things to our enemies, to those we don't get along with, to those that don't, we're not very, even very good at that with those that show selfless love to us. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, the sinners put us to shame. Uh, <laughs> and the remind us that we're even a worse sinner, as Paul said of himself. But it was reminded me of what Paul said in Philippians when he says um, that, hey, I, I, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. We're not there. Um, but I press on right. to make it my own because Christ Jesus 
has made me his own. That's the mm -hmm. point. Yeah. We're loved. Mm -hmm. And so now we are to love. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, let those of us who are mature be thus minded. And so when we look at the passage, it is, we forget what lies behind. Okay, here we are today. What do we do forward? We choose hmm. to act on the fruits we've been given by grace, to be patient, to be kind. And ironically, those are the very part of the list that Paul uses in the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. They're there. So be patient, mm -hmm. be kind. Don't be jealous. In other words, be trusting. Yeah. Uh, don't be boastful. What's at the core of what's wrong with being boastful, John Mark? Why, why is being boastful wrong? Especially in the midst of trying to make a marriage work hmm. well i hmm, i would say that i think one of the the ways that where love goes off the track is when it starts looking at people and their value in terms of what they do rather than what they are and when you boast you're boasting on what you do you know i've done this that and the other i'm i'm so great uh rather than humility is recognizing that i'm i'm a creature God made me. Everything that I have is not from me, but is a gift. Um, and that goes for the people around me too. And so to, to boast uh, frustrates my relationship with my cr my creator first and then with everyone else around me. Is that where you were going with that? Or? No, that's fine. When you think about <laughs> why is boasting so wrong? And we, we, uh, you know, we live in a culture where people are encouraged to toot their own horn. Mm -hmm. and, and the issue is that <clears throat> we need to be sensitive to the layers of the way people hear us and the layers of meanings. Mm -hmm. If I'm saying here that and I boast about things that I've done so well, I'm subtly communicating to you that I'm better than you. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm boasting of these things. If I assumed that you could also equally do those things, I wouldn't be boasting about them. So it carries a, a subtle, not only self-centered, self-focused, yeah. but a demeaning implication to other people. And if we're boasting in our marriage, then we're subtly putting our spouse down. What's interesting, rather than lifting her up. Yeah, what's interesting here too is to think of both these passages in relation to. So, uh, an additional passage of scripture, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, th that introduces another odd sort of layer of of nuance here because, you know, think of these two passages in relation to self love. I mean, what is it? to love yourself as God loves you. I mean, certainly, and this is, this is an important thing because we're, we're given by our, our modern culture, 
the uh, the, the direction, the exhortation to to self esteem. You know that that's some big um, important thing. And so, what's the distinction between uh, something a negative version of that and something positive? And again, I think boasting kind of gets to that where. Um, there's a there's a self love that wants to lo- I want to love myself apart from my creatureliness, you know that I want to look at my good as something that's my own that I make that I create that I do and thus that I can boast of. But with Paul, no, I have nothing to boast of. That doesn't mean I don't love myself. I love myself in in the way that my Creator loves me. He made me good from before the womb. He knew me. He planned me, and everything that I have is a gift from Him. And so in light of these two passages too, you know, we recognize that there's a, there's a right that with our creator, there's a right self-love that we understand too. I mean, we, we have to be patient and kind with ourselves as well. Um, and sometimes we can feel like <laughs> that, like I myself am the enemy, you know, but with, but with God, we, we strive to look at ourselves as God looks at us. You know, we were not good because of what we've done, but because he, he made us, we are beloved sons and daughters of the father. I hadn't thought about this before, but as you were speaking, I was thinking about that that selection of things that Paul has listed there in First Corinthians thirteen, and they the opposite. What he's trying to do is, mm-hmm. it seems, he's trying to 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 put a stop to squelch on an argument, mm. because if you look at the descriptions of that, yeah. those are all the things. That one leads to the other, leads to the other, leads to the other, and to those are all the things that happen that divide people. If you're impatient with somebody, well, that can lead to words of unkindness, and that can lead to a feeling of jealousy. You can get boastful in the midst of that. Then you get arrogant. You might get rude in that. Then you insist on your own way, and then you get irritable and resentful, and then you rejoice in the, you know, pretty soon you're, you're at each other's throats. You know, how do you stop it? Well, he's he's saying patience, kindness, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, stop the temptation to be jealous or to boast. You know, when you start feeling arrogant or stop, stop, mm-hmm. stop. And, you know, those are, well, how do I stop? I can't do it. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So you're asking prayerfully, help me, hmm. help me deal with these. And the idea that, as Paul said, I'm not perfect yet, I'm not arrived yet, but pressing on. So the, it, it's the trusting that in prayer, as Jesus says in John 15, by abiding in Christ, these things abide in us, and we improve in them. Hmm. John Mark, maybe we better stop there. We've... Uh, what I'd like to do is you close by letting the folk know that we really would love to invite their thoughts about our discussions to join the discussion. How can right. they do that? Yeah. Well, once again, if you're not familiar with the Coming Home Network, or if you are, you know, we are ne- a network of converts to the Catholic Church, as well as people who are on the journey of discovering Catholicism and embracing it, as well as lifelong Catholics that support us. And what, what really what this is all about, as Dad said, is it's about abiding in Christ. And so, you know, both so many people who come to the church from like an evangelical or other traditions, they come with a love of scripture. And the the goal here is just to continue that journey, that discovery of Christ, that turning closer to Christ every day. And so 
we'd love to go on this journey with you, uh, this continual conversion uh, with you. So chnetwork.org is our website. Uh, and I think one of the most important things you can do is if you go to the chnetwork.org and click join, uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter. It's free. Uh, there's a new conversion story every month, some helpful article articles, as well as prayer requests and updates from other people uh, on their journey to the church, you know, clergy and lay people who are making that journey that we're praying for and walking with together. So we, again, we'd love to be on that journey with you. And if you have a scripture you'd like us to talk about, please pass that along. Or if you have a question or a comment that we can talk about, also please send that along. Thank you, John Mark, for joining me today, and thank you all for joining us on Deep in Scripture. God bless you. God bless See you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.